This evening, I'd like to address the uh, subject of uh, metta or loving kindness. I was reading the uh, quote from Ajahn Sumedha's teachings on the calendar. He says, loving kindness, he says, metta is kindness with awareness. And goes on to comment about how the uh, cultivation of, of metta uh, doesn't lead to mediocrity. It's, it leads to not getting caught up in old habits of resentment, of fear, of ill will, of depression. And certainly it's been my experience over the years of practicing uh, in this Theravadan Buddhist tradition the, to witness the emphasis that's given in the classic teachings that the Buddha gave and the recorded teachings and also in the example of the teachers that I've lived with over the years as well as my own uh, cultivation that uh, the practice of metta, loving kindness has got a powerful uh, place in practice. Now sometimes the this teaching can be put across in a way whereby it's quite off-putting. I, I, again, talking about my own experience, in, in the first few years, people were telling me how to practice loving-kindness meditation, you have to sit there and, and think the thought, may I be well, may all beings be well. And quite frankly, in those days, what I was doing was sitting there thinking, may all beings go to hell. And I was so full of negativity and I was so physically ill myself uh, uh, the first few years of training in, in Thailand were pretty hard going and I was sick a lot of the time and my mind was all over the place I, I had my initial wonderful meditation experiences which inspired me and uh, caused me to make this choice and becoming a Buddhist monk and living a life of contemplation but once I got into the straitjacket of the monk's robes it wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be. And, and uh, talk about purification, there was a lot to be purified. And, and so I was just full of resentment. And, and this idea of kind of putting a loving smear over everything, may I be well, may all beings be well, just made me want to puke. So it um, didn't work for me. For quite, for quite a while I, I, I just dismissed it. But eventually... Uh, because I was interested in the Buddha's teachings, and the Buddha did teach quite specifically about the place of cultivating loving kindness, I found my own inroad there, and it was it was just like we were chanting at the end of the meditation this evening, where uh, may I abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill will. It's not just may I be happy, and may I get around with a smile on my dial and you know, light coming out of my eyes. It's not necessarily like that. If you don't feel good to start off with, well, we don't have to 
pretend that we feel good. Uh, we can actually come back and saying one of the most simple, straightforward, honest things, which is, may I be free from this suffering? That's an act of kindness. And if we are already suffering from, say, ill will, then just to really consciously say, to generate the wish, may I be free from ill will, can be like a balm. It can be like the most wonderful thing if you can say it and mean it. Now this, of course, is uh, not so simple in itself because to you know, really say it and mean it, uh, we've got all these thoughts going through our heads. And, and, but if we do uh, engage in the practice of meditation and we, we develop at least an initial skill in calming the mind down and quietening the thoughts, just this, uh, getting a break from the incessant kind of inner dialogue that's going on. Going on, just get a bit of a break from that and just start to come down a little bit until we actually get to feel how, how really how bad it feels to be filled with negativity. Now, it can be the case that we're so used to being negative that we don't know how bad it feels. You know, you're unfortunate enough to grow up with an angry parent or two angry parents, you know, it can be, very, can be a very energetically very negative environment. and it can get in, in, embedded in the body, and not to mention the mind, and then you just get used to it. You grow up with people who are angry around you all the time. You just think that being angry is normal. Well, it's a really sad condition. And, uh, so for many people, when we uh, come across Buddhist meditation, and you, mindfulness of breathing, concentration on breathing, and you, you apply a little will and a bit of discipline, and and then the mind drops into a state which is momentarily free from ill will. It can be like the most wonderful, lovely experience. Well, then uh, is a good time to actually start to consider what's meant by this teaching of cultivating loving kindness. Now, we could just go back into using our will to focus on the meditation object to try and get back to that state of uh, well-being again. But that's not necessarily going to deal with those things. What is it? What is it? Why can't we access this state of well-being more easily? Because there's all this other stuff. There's all this negativity, this craving, the, the poisons that would have called them, the, the pollutions of the heart that are getting in the way. So the cultivation of loving kindness is a, is a wonderful tool that goes alongside the cultivation of mindfulness of breathing. A wonderful tool, a wonderful exercise that if we get, find our own way into it so we're comfortable with it, to be comfortable with it and to really put some energy into it. And then the, um, we can start to experience the benefit for ourselves. You, you, you know what it's like to have a, at least a somewhat reduced state of negativity to the point where you get to feel how painful it is to be resentful and how toxic it is to be dwelling on thoughts of, I wish somebody would be suffering. It is how, how thoroughly unsuitable that is. Not just how bad or not just a judgment, just say, well, that's, that's just so utterly unsuitable to be wishing beings be unhappy. Because, you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you know, somebody can say something to you, something nasty, and you can feel hurt, and they go on their way, and then a day later you can still be dwelling on it. You can be repeating what they're saying, and you've been dwelling on this negativity, wishing they be un- unhappy, and, and they've forgotten about it. They're just getting along, happy, no problem at all. But we are still dwelling in negativity. So the Buddha encouraged us to, to think about this in support of cultivating loving kindness, to 
Look at the consequence of dwelling on negativity. Look at how it, how it drags us down, how it makes us depressed, how it destroys our sleep. And the Buddha pointed out it also damages your complexion. You know, people with lots of loving kindness and radiant complexion and sleep well, wake well, uh, and are loved by others. And so, so to use our discernment to consider the consequence of the absence of loving kindness when we're possessed by negativity and also to consider just to intentionally, strategically consider the benefit of cultivating a heart of loving kindness. So as to encourage ourselves, to incline us to go in that direction. And then as a formal meditation technique we can cultivate, but also just in everyday life, a natural disposition. That's what like these, these ten paramis are like dispositions that we can cultivate, or virtues. Now, the word virtue is not perhaps a word that we're all totally comfortable with anymore, but it's hard to find another word in our language. I, mean, I can say wholesome accumulations, but that's a bit of a mouthful. Like we've been through Dana Barami, Sila Barami, Nikama Barami, Aditana Barami, like these, these virtues of generosity, of, of impeccability, uh, of renunciation, of determination. and These forces of goodness or these accumulations that are something that we can build and they become like a psychic force field, if you like. You know, all these ten paramis are like that, like a psychic force field that, that if somebody's got a lot of accumulated generosity, you know, then their life is just surrounded with goodness. You see, people who are very generous are always very contented, whereas people who are very selfish, you know, it doesn't matter how much they've got, they're never contented. Well, somebody who's got a lot of metta parami or loving-kindness accumulation it's just as everybody wants to be near them. And the Buddha talked about it as a, as a transformative force. The, the force of, of loving kindness can not just transform ill will within one's own heart, but also can tra- transform other beings. Yeah. You want to watch what happens when, when, uh, when people, for instance, when people meet um, Desmond Tutu. I don't know if you've ever watched Desmond Tutu. And this guy's got a lot of loving kindness. Or the Dalai Lama, you think. This man has cultivated a heart of loving kindness. And, and when people get near them, something happens to them. Yeah, they get affected by this force of kindness, of compassion. There's a very graphic image in the traditional uh, teachings of, of how the Buddha was attacked by a drunk elephant, Nalagiri. Uh, this rather unfortunate fellow... Devadatta was a man of serious wrong view and, and he had uh, all sorts of wrong ideas about how to relate to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha and although he had previously had some psychic powers in his practice these, these disappeared because of his unwholesome intentions and, and he went as far as actually trying to kill the Buddha. Uh, he was so misguided and one of the tricks he tried was to roll a great big boulder down the hill and drop on the Buddha and fortunately he didn't... didn't uh, and um, didn't kill a Buddha. So the next trick he does was to go and get the royal elephant Nalagiri, get him drunk, thoroughly drunk, and then set him loose on, loose on the Buddha when the Buddha was going on arms round. And so this drunk, crazy elephant is careering down the road and is just about to kind of splat the Buddha, and the Buddha just holds up his hand and exudes loving kindness. And 
it's graphically reported in the teachings how the loving kindness of the Buddha how just stopped Nalagiri in his tracks, this, this great big drunk elephant, which is quite a good metaphor for some of our mind states, I feel, you know, this drunk elephant. And, but the, heart, the Buddha's heart of loving kindness just stopped Nalagiri in his tracks, and Nalagiri collapsed in front of the Buddha, and, and then using his trunk, he gathered the dust from around the Buddha's feet and sprinkled it over his own head. And, and as an image, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it actually happened, but even as a suggestion for the heart that's aspiring towards goodness within us, the heart that's aspiring towards liberation within us, that gets assailed by drunk elephants, you know, by indignation, by rage. You know, and somebody, somebody just cuts you to the quick. You know, somebody close to you says something that you fly up into a rage, just passionate indignation, just like a crazy drunk elephant just wants to splat. Yeah, well, you know, what we're doing is really is damaging our own wholesome aspirations by that. Well, if we protected ourselves, if we prepared ourselves with the force of loving kindness, well, then the heart is, 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 is protected from being invaded. You know, I think it was like a psychic immune system. Like when the winter comes along, you take, you know, some nice vitamin C and we, we, we strengthen our immune system so we don't get invaded by the cold bugs that are around. Well... Likewise, we can, we can cultivate, strengthen and prepare our psychic immune system, protect our hearts with loving kindness. Ill will will arise to some degree for all of us. It just depends what sort of character we are, what sort of karma we brought with us into this lifetime and what sort of experiences we've had from since our childhood and through into the stage of life, how much inclination towards ill will we've got. But it does need to be recognised as a, as a force of darkness that can that can really overshadow and even damage our aspirations for goodness and for purity, for liberation. <coughs> and so, if we recognise this, well, that's again a, another uh, uh, encouragement. You know, the thing I value most in my life is this inclination towards goodness, you know, the, the aspiration towards wisdom and compassion, and to see that can be threatened. Ill will can really damage such wholesome aspirations and, and we're wise to protect ourselves uh, in advance, not to wait until we get possessed by these things. If you get possessed by this stuff, by negativity, by ill will, then we're convinced. Yeah, we can feel convinced that hurting is good. Yeah, can really, uh, I've met people who just tell me they just love feeling angry. They just love it. Yeah. And if you've been accustomed to it, if you've gotten accustomed, well, it's, it sits in the body, in the nervous system, in the muscles, in the mind, the habits. And that's why one of the meditation techniques we can do to address our predilection for negativity is to cultivate loving kindness in the body. To start with the thought, May my body be well. May my body be free from suffering. May my body be free from ill will. May my body be at ease. Whatever word works. You know, if your body's feeling a bit painful, you can think the thought, may my body be at ease. And then start from the top of your head. And say, may the top of my head be at ease. Ease. Nice long. May the top of my head be at ease. Nice long, drawn out ease. May my eyebrows be at ease, may my forehead, may my ears, may my eyes, may my nose. 
may my tongue be perfectly at ease. It's really wishing it for the body. And you might be surprised as you move through the body to find out. So, yeah, I don't seem to get a feeling for my shoulders. I can't, my shoulders, may my shoulders be at ease. I don't seem to work there. And maybe I have to stay there longer. And really feel kindliness towards the body. So to recognize the advantage and disadvantage of, of, uh, of having loving kindness or not having it, and then to find our own inroads into exercising the conscious cultivation of it. Not, yeah, there are techniques and other people will tell you how to do it, but also we can get creative with this. You know, like I was mentioning just a minute ago, you know, looking at somebody like Desmond Tutu or, or like the Buddha says, looking at a mother with her only child. Now, the hormones for a mother with her only child, she, basically she's, not, she's just chemically not capable of putting herself ahead of the child. You know, this, the, the, the biology has been adjusted so that the child comes first. This state of selflessness, the Buddha said, this is the thing to look at if you want to see the beautiful example that I'm talking about of a heart of loving kindness. And this is something we need to cultivate. You look at a mother with her only child, that state of selflessness is something that we can admire, we can adore, we can, we can uh, internalize. So, you know, maybe a beautiful picture, or maybe a mental image that we cultivate. And then in our daily life, also to, we can exercise the uh, attention to see See how, when we have loving kindness, how, how, for instance, how much agility we've got, how we can move through life with agility when there's loving kindness. We can adjust, we can accord to changing circumstances. Like when, the, when the heart is, is, is cold and bitter, we become, it's like ice is brittle, you know. When ice melts and becomes water, it can flow and adjust and accord with conditions. Whereas when water is frozen, it's brittle and it can break. And likewise, when we're, when we're cold, the heart is cold with negativity, with resentment, with, with bitterness, then the heart is brittle. And we, don't, we can't accord and we can't adjust. We can't be easeful. You know, somebody comes to us with, um, with their pain that they don't know how to accommodate and so they dump it out onto us and then we don't know how to accord with that. We just react back and... The next thing you know, we're having an argument, having a fight. There's a married couple or friends or in any other relationship. We, from time to time, we always meet people who, who've got more pain than they know how to handle. And if we've got loving kindness, then we've got agility, and we can adjust. You know, like at work, when when you've got a boss, or in the monastery, when you've got an abbot who's who's all frustrated and exhausted, and perhaps he's not treating in the way you want to be treated, and but if you've got a heart of loving kindness, you can just receive the other person with kindness, with empathy. And that's the capacity, like a mother with her only child. When the child does things that the mother doesn't like, when the mother's got a heart of loving kindness, I'm not talking when the mother's lost the plot. I mean, that's something else. That's not what we're emulating. But when the mother's in that state of loving selflessness, it doesn't matter what the child does, she'll forgive them. So, with this heart of loving kindness, and we can also we can also cultivate forgiveness. You know, when 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 things happen that we wish didn't happen, and yes, there's bitterness, but with a heart of loving kindness, there's also 
the possibility we're going to see that although I can't let go of the memory of what happened, I can't let go of the thought of what happened to me or what this person did, I do have the choice of not investing that memory with ill will. And that's forgiveness. You know, that's forgiveness. We can't get rid of certain memories. But what we can do is exercise the choice to not invest those memories with resentment, with negativity. And then we can experience forgiveness. And so we can even deal with very difficult people in very difficult situations. So we have this agility. And agility is a wonderful factor in living life, in spiritual life, but in living life in general, in all aspects of life. And Sometimes people find that in the spiritual life, and it happens in the Buddhist world, people get very lofty ideals about how they're going to live. They, they've, they've maybe done a little meditation and heard a few Dhamma talks and read some scriptures. And, and so they, they have the principles about how life should be. And they might be right. Yes, life should be like this. People should keep precepts. Yes, if you live a life of impeccability, then you have self-respect and dignity and everybody gets on together and yes it should be this way everybody should keep the five precepts from one perspective that's true because if everybody keeps the five precepts the world will be harmonious and everybody will have a, a good foundation for for building on whatever they want to do in their life however if we don't have agility then we might even though our principles might be good we go around whacking people with them you know, they shouldn't be this way. My boss shouldn't be behaving like that. Or my parents, why can't my parents be more wise? You know, my parents, they keep precepts, but why can't they just develop a little wisdom? And, and uh, so our principles can be very noble, but we don't know how to accord with what's happening. We don't have agility. A heart of loving kindness shows us how to have agility. Even when our principles are contradicted, by circumstances, whether it's so something out of heedlessness we ourselves do. We can forgive ourselves for that. We don't meet our own standards. We set the bar pretty high, most of us. We do. We set the bar pretty high. And we don't make it a lot of the time. We fall short of it. But can we receive ourselves and learn and move on? Or do we just slap a heavy, hard, cold-hearted judgment on ourselves and not get the message at all? Or likewise with other people. In formal meditation, also, agility is a, is a very important element of practice. And, and um, we've just had uh, a group of people here on meditation retreat, Ajahn Vimalo, uh, kindly spent a week here uh, sharing the benefit of his practice and his learning with these people on retreat. And, and when people leave retreat, it's very important that they give themselves time to you know, to decompress, you know, coming out of you know, the subtle levels you know, through meditation exercises, you deepen into uh, subtle levels of, of heart and mind, and, and we can see things, we can learn things, we can perform our feeling investigations in a way that's very meaningful, very, very rewarding, very relevant, and, and really heart nourishing. And we can just soak up the atmosphere of of spiritual company and feel very, very good with that. However, we can't live in that mode most of the time. Most people can't. And so they need to come out of that subtle, deeper level into the everyday activity. And it's like I find 
the uh, metaphor of, of, of diving fits quite well. And if you've been diving quite deep, you know, when you rise up out of that and you decompress, you, there's, a, there's a, a rate at which you can do it, and if you do it wrong, you actually get very ill and you get a lot of pain and it can even kill you. But likewise, with the, the spiritual life, that we can, through meditation effort, enter into subtle levels of heart and mind. As we come out of that, we need to have agility. We need to be able to work with the different levels. Sometimes people will have some useful experiences in formal meditation, go quite deep and see some very relevant things quite clearly. But then when they come out, they're back in their everyday life, they lose it. They lose perspective and they get caught up in, in old habits again. And, and then they rush off and do another meditation retreat and, and they've got to get back into that nice, calm, peaceful state again and have that wonderful, inspiring experience again. And they hammer away at it for a few days and then, oh, there again. And so, thank goodness, oh, I wish I could stay on retreat on my own. But they can't and so then they come out and... But they don't have a certain fact. They don't have agility. They don't actually know how to surface gradually and see that as they're entering into their everyday consciousness that actually there's patterns there. There's patterns of behavior. There's patterns that manifest in relationship in particular that really need to be addressed. And you don't address them at a very subtle level. You address them at the emotional level. And so if we do have agility as a spiritual faculty... <clears throat> Developed, and this comes with loving kindness, in my view. But if we do have agility, then when we see that our practice is not addressing the issues in our life, you know, we, we, we're always getting caught up in blaming or getting angry or returning to our addictions and that we just can't let go of. And say, so, well, it's not just another retreat that you need. You need to actually, you know, not go so deep. You, know, you need to actually pay attention to. This, this dimension, the emotional realm, you know, what, what is it? What's going on here? And this is where body meditation is very good. Loving kindness in the body. You know, say, may my heart be free from ill will. May my heart be free from ill will. May my chest be at ease. To really stay with this feeling, to explore what's there. And, and maybe we come across some things there that, um, you know, some unlived life that we hadn't addressed before. So if we do have agility uh, in practice, we, we'll see, well, it's not time to necessarily go very deep in meditation practice. We need to just learn how to cultivate a heart of kindliness, of patience. Yeah. Or, as I often mention, uh, judgment-free awareness. You know, many, many people I've heard over the years uh, who have spent a long time in their meditation practice, but what they haven't addressed is the compulsive judging mind. Now, it's perfectly understandable because in our culture this is you know, critical intelligence, discriminative intelligence is, is really, well, I would say exaggerated. Of course it's got its place, and discriminative intelligence has got a, a very important function. And I can remember at school uh, we used to have a class that was called Critical Appreciation, but we never had a class called loving appreciation. Now, maybe you can't, you know, maybe you can't schedule it into the school room, but perhaps that's what religious education is supposed to be about. But sadly, so many people don't get any religious education these days that all they get is an emphasis on critical appreciation or discriminative intelligence. And the unitive intelligence, which some other cultures really amplify, you know, where they learn, where they, they basically have a, a life committed to devotion. Hmm. 
Because we don't have that, we go way out of balance and we just, have, we just feel it's perfectly natural to be critical the whole time. And so even when we're exercising meditation, you know, keeping precepts, but you know, we're just not good enough and even though we're making a lot of good effort, we're, we're still not good enough. And, and so I would suggest for people like that that if they, if they have a little loving kindness and a little more agility then they'll notice this and they'll be able to let go of their compulsive meditation effort and come back and just be contented with developing non-judgmental awareness for a while. And, uh, yeah, which sometimes means just, just stop doing formal meditation. So oh, I can't stop doing my formal meditation. Basically, it's an addiction. Uh, compulsive formal meditation practice is it's not quite the same thing as... as as cultivating mindfulness that the Buddha was encouraging. We, we recognize that we have this habitual, critical, judging mind, well then I would suggest, you know, just sit in an armchair and for 10 minutes a day, yes, you can still do something like sitting, but don't be so heroic or dramatic about it. Just sit in an armchair and for 10 minutes and just see, is it possible to sit there without criticizing anything, without judging anything? First for 10 minutes... Even for five minutes, you know, maybe even two minutes, actually. He said, I'll see if I can stop criticizing for two minutes. Oh, <laughs> that's quite revealing, really. Well, that's very good. That's a very good rec- thing to recognize. Well, of course, we don't criticize ourselves and judge ourselves for being so critical and judgmental. We say, well, we need to find another approach and stop going so deep in our meditation and just come back to a more surface level and learn to be at peace with ourselves. So in this, uh, if we do encounter such a predicament, then practicing the heart of loving kindness, cultivating the heart of loving kindness is a, is a real gift. And whether we do it as a formal exercise, or whether we do it in, in daily life contemplation, so long as it works, that's the point. And we can notice it. We'll notice in, in all sorts of situations that used to be so, so difficult to deal with, or or emotional states that were difficult to deal with, like, like grief or, or, or guilt, or even you know, really, really threatening thoughts like suicide. You know, everyone has the thought of, I want to kill myself, I just don't want to live anymore. Well, if we meet that thought with ill will, it's like putting petrol on the fire. I hate myself for hating myself. I hate myself so much I want to kill myself, and I'm going to hate myself for hating myself. But if we get a feeling for this possibility, we hear what the Buddha was saying, just let's, let's imagine what would a loving mother do if her child was in this predicament. The mother would wish, may my child be free from ill will. May my child, may, and we can emulate this. May I be free from, that works. May, I'm perfectly entitled to wish that for myself. Don't need anybody's permission, we can give it to ourselves. May I be free from the pain of ill will. So then even the thought of wanting to kill ourselves or feelings of guilt or feelings of grief, sadness, uh, remorse, uh, to let ourselves feel what we need to feel but to meet it with a quality of attention, a quality of awareness that's imbued with loving kindness. Now, I think this is something like what perhaps what Ajahn Sumedha means in his, his comment there that, that with a heart of loving kindness that we don't get so caught up in these habits, we don't get lost in these feelings. Uh, of negativity. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.